At this time, please help me welcome this morning's speaker, Billy N. from Buford, Georgia, with a presentation of the 12 Concepts. Good morning. I'm Billy. I'm an alcoholic. My home group is the early morning AA literature discussion meeting in Atlanta, Georgia, 7.30 every morning if you're around. So, I have a big, exciting topic this morning, um, the 12 concepts. So, a couple of things I want to say. I am not some rigid person who thinks that every person in AA needs to study and know the concepts. I think they need to know they exist. I think they need to know that they're out there. And I say that because, and let's just, I have till 10 o'clock, right? Yesterday there was some, so as I travel around Alcoholics Anonymous, and I've been sober in AA a little while, I've noticed a pervasive problem. I'm not some kind of conspiracy theorist of any kind, um, but you can't help but apply certain principles between legacies. Our big book is very clear that you can't fix something unless you know what's wrong. That is pretty much the basis of the first couple of chapters of the big book. That until you know what's wrong with you, it is very hard to fix you. One of the main points of the fourth step, based on how it's broken down in the big book, is that the individual resentments and other stuff that you list there, it's not really about those things, because there's a line that says, let's get down to causes and conditions. And so you can't help but be alive and notice certain causes and conditions and certain things that you notice in the fellowship. So for me, and this is what I want to stress forward, if there's someone here who's never been through the big book with someone who's been through the big book, then I would hope that you start to do that and find someone you're comfortable doing that with. If there is someone here who has been through the big book and has never been through the concepts, I want to throw out a big warning. If you have not been through the traditions with someone who has been through the traditions, do not go through the concepts. Some people say, you know, we get so up in arms about this AA group, that AA group, this meeting, that meeting, it's crazy, there's no solution. I could go on and on of all the things I hear. But the truth is, it is not the people in my experience who are armed with none of the facts, meaning none of the three legacies, who are causing us the most trouble in our fellowship. It is the people who are armed with the first legacy facts and stop. They have a spiritual experience as a result of the 12 steps and they're on fire. I mean, I'm sure everybody sitting in this room has stories of when they became on fire and what they were like when they were on fire and what other people had to deal with when they were on fire, right? I mean, I think everybody has those stories of, you know, what it was like when you visited other groups when you were on fire, you know? <laughs> to let them know that they had AA light, and if they'd like something a little bit more substantial, they could come to their group, right? Where they worked the program that the first hundred had out of the first 164 of the big book. I mean, I know all the catchphrases and words and go on. But that's what's causing us our trouble inside the fellowship. It's people armed with one legacy recovery 
have no guidelines about what we do in Alcoholics Anonymous, and more importantly, what we don't do. And people ask me, what can we do about that? There is something that all active members can do about that. There is a very important thing all active members can do. If you go to any big book retreat, any big book workshop, any fellowship of the spirit, go to the original one in Colorado, uh, go wherever you want, any big book workshop, pretty much one of the things, there's a lot of things I could throw up on a board and say, let's play big book weekend bingo. I'm going to list a couple of words and phrases, and we'll see how many are said that weekend, right? I'm pretty sure I could be 80% or better, right? I want the program the first hundred had. Anyone who's heard me speak before, I would be more like, well, which one of the first hundred? Are you implying that all first hundred stayed sober permanently, forever? Or are you saying maybe you wanted to do a little bit more research and you want number 73? Um, but one of the things you'll always hear is that, you know, one of the great things about most big book weekends I've been to is how good they are about step 12 and working with others in that chapter and, and working with a new prospect and the clear-cut directions about are you wasting too much time and are you depriving that from someone else who needs your help. And But one of the lines that you'll always hear at those big book workshops is you have to ask the person who has asked for your help, are you willing to go to any lengths? One of the most important questions in Alcoholics Anonymous. Are you willing to go to any lengths to keep your sobriety? And so, for me, I just have to redefine what any lengths means. But that can only be done if the person who's being asked to take someone through the big book defines for that new person what does any lengths mean. If any lengths means that as soon as you're finished with the first 164 pages and have gone through all 12 steps, means that you should just immediately go on fire and do what I just described, going to the whole AA world, um, I think we have to add to the description of any lengths. That I can only agree to take someone through the big book if it includes that once we are done with that, we will go through the 12 and 12 and the 12 traditions. I will not say you have to have a service manual. I will not say you even ever have to own one or even go through the concepts. But I will say that the traditions are not optional. And I already heard someone, you know, jump to my term, but I'll steal her term. Um, I did in the first place. Um, but the term legacy skipping is an accurate description or phrase of what I'm describing. As you go around Alcoholics Anonymous assemblies and districts, I think one of the reasons we have some issues in Alcoholics Anonymous today is that I have been to many assemblies. Last time I counted over 80 of the 90-something areas at one time or another in the last almost three decades. I've been to that many assemblies. And some assemblies I've been to many more. But we seem to do a good job of talking about the concepts at assemblies and districts. But we don't seem to do a good job of talking about the traditions. And every two years, we get a new group of GSRs. And if we're lucky, some of them have a sponsor and have been through the big book. And maybe they're going to start learning about the concepts. Every assembly seems to have a what they call a GSR workshop or a past delegate who is off in a separate room with the new GSRs. But it always seems to be focused on the structure or the concepts. And I think one of the things we need to do in Alcoholics Anonymous is bring the traditions back to our structure.
is bring the traditions back to our assemblies and our districts. Because you can't interpret the tradition, the concepts, if you don't have a foundation in the traditions. It's just impossible. If a math equation is 2 plus 2 equals 4, if you remove one of the 2s, you can't get to 4. If there are 24 spiritual principles between the traditions and the steps, and then another 12 with the concepts, you can't teach someone how to get to 36 if you're skipping the middle 12. It's, it's impossible. And so I would stress here that while I am glad that this many people show up to hear about the concepts, what I would stress is if you've never been through the traditions with someone who's been through the traditions, that before you decide to become an expert on the concepts, <laughs> that you get armed with the facts of the traditions. So that being said, let's talk a little bit before I get to concept one, and I only have a short amount of time to go through at a high level these concepts, but let's talk about how we got here. If you go to a big book workshop, they'll also tell you that, you know, they make 1935 to 1945 seem like Shangri-La and Alcoholics Anonymous, right? That it was the greatest time ever and everybody stayed permanently sober and it's just not true. I can't stress enough, in my own opinion, that if you have decided when you leave here today you have never been through the traditions or the concepts that I'm hoping that probably you have a 12 and 12. I would say that you should get an AA comes of age. And while you're going through the traditions with someone who's been through the traditions, read AA comes of age. Because Bill describes 1935 to 1945 as the flying blind period. He does not describe it as Shangri-La. In fact, when you look up to 1946-47, you can become a member of the digital archives of the grapevine at www.aagrapevine.org. If you join the digital archives, if you put in the words traditions, the first things that will pop up will be the original 12 essays that Bill wrote about these spiritual principles. The principles to guarantee AA's future they're described as. How did Bill get there? What really happened between 1935 and 1961, let's call it? But really, what really happened in 55 becomes important is that Bill had a lot of things going on in his mind, in his life. He was, after Dr. Bob passed away, he was the end-all, be-all for all AA problems, you know? I even go to sometimes uh, trinket, drunk junk, whatever else you want to call them, areas of conferences, and you'll see people. I have a Sandy B saying uh, wristband, but you'll see a wristband that says, what would Bill do, right? I mean, I see them being sold. But that's really how it was at that time. And if you read the book, it's not an AA book, but I'm not afraid to read non-AA books. Um, besides Not God, which is one of my favorites, there's also a, a book called um, The Soul of Sponsorship, I believe it's called. It's the relationship between Father Ed Dowling and Bill W., where it really goes into describing, because what we hear in AA is that Bill did this miraculous thing in 1955 and gave over control of the fellowship to the groups. But if you read the relationship between Father Dowling and Bill, you will see that Father Dowling was able to get Bill to realize that as long as he was the end-all, be-all 
he would never get the freedom promised in Alcoholics Anonymous. That as long as it all rested on his shoulders, he would never be one among many. Now, Bill, probably no one lost more individual freedom in their life as a result of being an AA member than Bill. Couldn't walk away from it. Everybody knew who he was. But Father Dowling was able to convince him that he couldn't be the end-all, be-all on AA policy. So around 1945-46, Bill's getting all kinds of letters to the office. Letters that started out with, Dear Bill, everything's great in our group. Couldn't be going better. Lots of people, lots of newcomers. We're bringing meetings into the local jail and hospital detox. The only problem we have is this group across the street. You won't believe what's going on there. <laughs> and a couple of weeks later, Bill would get another letter from the group across the street. And guess what? They were on fire. They had lots of newcomers. They were bringing meetings to the county jail and to the hospital detox. And their only problem was this group across the street. They didn't understand how anyone was staying sober there. And Bill, in the 40s, realized that alcoholics don't really operate well without shoulders of a road, let's call it. That alcoholics need a shoulder. And after the shoulder, they need a little gravel. <laughs> like, the shoulder is not good enough for people like us, right? We get into the shoulder, we think they meant for us to use this shoulder. That's why they paved it. So we have gravel to wake you up that you've now left the shoulder. You're on the way to leaving the reservation, right? Bill was a master at realizing that we needed some shoulders, some guideposts. And if you read the great thing about reading A.A. Comes of Age as you're going through the traditions, is that you will realize the traditions didn't materialize out of Bill's head. My favorite name of the traditions is the 12 worst mistakes of Alcoholics Anonymous between 1935 and 1945. Bill was able to take every problem and he was able to drop him in 12 buckets. Many of those mistakes, his, especially in the last two, anonymity. But many of those mistakes were his own. And so Bill decided to put pen to paper and the traditions were not eagerly adopted by the fellowship. There are records, there are letters in the archives where Bill would be invited to speak and they would add a little PS on the letter. By the way, we only want to hear your story. Don't talk about those 12 tradition things, you know? Um, but the 12 traditions get adopted. And the reason I talked about the AA Digital Archives on the Grapevine website is because I love those original 12 essays. They're almost, ex they're probably 95% of what's in the 12 and 12. But obviously by the time a book was published, it was edited a little. Those 12 essays are very raw. And there's a message weaved through those essays that I don't find as well in the 12 and 12, which is the reason for the traditions is that we are such broken people who don't operate well with other people that we need to make sure that that door is open today and tomorrow like it was when we arrived. That's what we owe the future of Alcoholics Anonymous. We owe them that door. We owe them a welcome once they come in that door. But if we keep going down the path we're on, that door is starting to close. So the traditions come into AA, and in 1950, at the first international convention in Cleveland, 
where Dr. Bob gave his last message, they're adopted. Go to 1955, and that's the term comes of age in St. Louis. And that's where we run into the conference charter. It's really hard to talk about the tradition, the concepts. And like I said, if you gave me six hours, I'll give you much more than you ever, and you'll be sick over what I have to say about the concepts, right? Today I'll be able to give you a few minutes on each. But you can't talk about the concepts without the charter. The charter is basically the Declaration of Independence of the groups of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't care about the politics involved, that's an outside issue. But as an example, a long time ago there were a bunch of colonies in this country who broke off from another country. They call that a couple of things, but the three probably most important documents would be the Declaration of Independence, the Emancipation Proclamation, and the U.S. Constitution. Inside Alcoholics Anonymous, up until St. Louis, a small group of people, predominantly in New York, were the end-all, be-all of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was Bill and a hand-picked board of trustees. In 1955, when that conference charter was adopted, the groups took over control of Alcoholics Anonymous. Sometimes I don't think we give that enough significant thought. It didn't say the trustees were in charge of Alcoholics Anonymous. It didn't even say the General Service Conference was the end-all be-all. It said the groups. And what that charter really is, is a spiritual handshake between the groups of Alcoholics Anonymous and the Board of Trustees, the General Service Board of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that spiritual handshake says that while the trustees are the legal owners of Alcoholics Anonymous, the General Service Board of Alcoholics Anonymous, AWS, the grapevine, that the groups are the spiritual owners and that the groups always supersede. Now there's a couple of carve-outs in certain concepts and the bylaws of the General Service Board um, when you go through the concepts that you can find out, but the groups were supposed to be at the top. And when you look what happened between 55 and the early 60s, Bill decided to write the concepts. And the concepts are additional shoulders of the road, additional guideposts to make sure that as we're carrying out these services, we're doing it the way we were supposed to inside our 12 traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. But that conference charter, most people don't realize. Now I realize it painfully. Um, I'm sure Paul realizes it painfully. Sometimes people would ask me, what's it like being chair of AA World Services? And I would say, well, you know that upside down triangle with the point at the bottom? It's like waking up every morning with that stuck in your head. <laughs> That's how painful some days are. That's truthfully how it is. And a lot of people don't realize the authority given to our boards and what our boards need from that authority to carry out the work every single day, 365 days a year. Even when I hear people get really upset about things at a forum, at an assembly, somewhere else. The difference between them and the people that are working at the office and the, and the people that are on the board is they just don't get to leave the forum. Tomorrow morning I'll be on another conference call with some trustees committee and maybe our auditor and maybe at the end of the week our legal team about God knows what problem that just came down the road. And sometimes, listen, Bill Wilson was the board's largest critic. 
That's a fact proven by our archives. Bill just didn't give it over and turn his back. Bill had a lot of <laughs> discussions with the board, many of them he memorialized in writing, um, and was not afraid to speak up when he thought they were going the wrong direction. But it's important to understand that relationship where the legal and spiritual meet. Now, I'll quickly talk about advisory actions of the conference, which are binding on the General Service Board. If two-thirds of the conference votes and it's passed by the conference, it's binding. The service manual actually says that if a majority of conference delegates votes a certain way, that it should be a strong suggestion to the General Service Board. To me, that is a problem in our structure right now. We do not, we do not give majority votes at the conference enough credit. We almost just say it failed. A majority vote at the conference should not be in a bucket of it just failed. It should be in a bucket of passed by a majority but did not reach two-thirds. The last important vote I saw about that was a floor action um, and it's not listed that way. So I'm not going to go on that tangent here. but. I would just say we, we have to honor the service manual. If we don't mean it, we should take it out of the book. That's always my view of guidelines. Um, when we start ignoring what's in writing, it sets a precedent, like it becomes optional. And what I've noticed in Alcoholics Anonymous is we like the easier, softer way. So it's much easier to ignore and let people think it's optional, then they go through the proper channels to change something. So Bill creates these 12 concepts for world service. The first one, the final responsibility and ultimate authority for AA world services should always reside in the collective conscious of our whole fellowship. That's basically what the conference charter says that at the end of the day, the AA groups. Now, I will say this. I do think as we go on in the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, we're going to have to really take a look at what do we mean by the groups? Who do we serve? Do we serve the groups who have a GSR? and who contribute and are part of our structure? Or are we an office that just serves everybody who calls themselves AA and gets a group number? Because at the end of the day, it's a math problem. It comes down to economics. If only 40% of the groups are participating in contributing, but you're serving another 60%. How can you make that work? If you have a house with 10 roommates and only four pay rent, but you allow the other six to live there and you provide them services, are you ever going to be right side up when it comes to being fully self-supporting like our seventh tradition says? But for now, that's a discussion for another day. But I do want to stress that the first concept, I also want to say, I should have said this before I said this, the most least, least read page of AA literature, in my experience, of even people who read AA literature, is this page called the Introduction to the Concepts. The Introduction to the Concepts it is found directly before concept one. It is a note from Bill. It is very, very, very important. Um, there is a line in here when people say we can never change the structure. 
That is not true. We have three boards today. We had four boards. Most people don't know that. We had a board up in Canada for a while of a company that we owned. But today we have the General Service Board, AA World Services, and the AA Grapevine, Inc. But it says here, concern has been expressed. The portrayal of our internal structure might not later harden down into such firm tradition or gospel that necessary changes would be impossible to make. Nothing could stray further from the intent of these concepts. That is a strong statement. Nothing. The future advocates of structural change need only make out a strong case for their recommendation, a case to both the trustees and the conference. This is no more than would be required for the transaction and passage of any other important piece of AA business. Save for an exception or two, it is noteworthy that the conference charter itself can easily be amended. Bill laid it out there very clearly. So as I talk a little bit, a minute or two more about concept one, let me just say this. Here's another pattern that I have noticed in Alcoholics Anonymous. The General Service Board gets accused of it all the time. We don't allow things on the agenda at the conference. But I go to assemblies, and I am amazed that now assemblies, a lot of areas, have steering committees or officer meetings where things need to go through them to get on the floor of an assembly. And what I have noticed in Alcoholics Anonymous is we've kind of veered away from the groups being in charge. If a GSR has something that their group feels is important for the area, they should be able to put it on the floor at their area. If it fails, it fails. But what I've noticed is we've kind of stolen the Congress model, where it's not about the vote, it's about getting it to the floor. And we've created all this bureaucracy about how to get something to the floor. And that was never the intent. Read anything in AA Comes of Age, anything that Bill wrote. The intent was that if a group had an issue, they should be able to be heard and get a fair hearing. And so I just throw that out of that concept one, but I want to read it again. The final responsibility and ultimate authority for AA World Services should always reside in the collective conscience of our whole fellowship. Concept two. When in 1955 the AA groups confirmed the permanent charter for its general service conference, they thereby delegated to the conference complete I would ask you to look that word up when you're going through this book, but it is the word complete authority for the active maintenance of our world services and thereby made the conference, accepting for any change in the 12 traditions or in Article 12 of the conference charter, the actual vote and effective conscience of our whole society. I always say I sat next to somebody in Seattle, I was traveling on business in 2003, I had just rotated out as being a delegate, and they said to me, I can't believe they changed the big book. Now for me, who had been in service, I couldn't believe we were still talking about it in 2000 and 2001. It seemed like the idea came in 1996 that we should have a fourth edition, and every place I went, it was all we talked about. But here was an active member who did not know, and they were very upset. Very upset that their favorite story by Dr. Paul, that the title was changed, how dare they? Very upset if you're a third edition variety uh, alcoholic like I am between 1976 and when they published that book in 2002, you grew up with a third edition big book. Um, if you went to any conference or any international conference and went to a junk, drunk junk section, there would be all these magnets about 449, 449 this, 449 that, 449 calendars, uh, refrigerator magnets, uh, wristbands, everything 449 about acceptance. Acceptance is the answer to all your problems and you'll be fine. I am so glad they changed that page, but that's just me, right? I come from a, I come from a line that believes for a person like me that page should be ripped out. 
because the pages two before and the pages two after, that person describes that action is the answer. <laughs> Once you accept what an idiot you are, <laughs> we take action. Um, but this woman was upset. And I say that because when we have so many groups in AA that don't participate, you're giving up your say. You're, you're saying, I'm going to let the rest of AA decide what to do, and I'm just going to complain about it later. That's what you're effectively saying. And again, I go back. We have so many meetings that aren't groups. These kind of often not connected to the center of Alcoholics Anonymous, to their local district, their local central office, or in a group. Delegated to the conference, complete authority. So when you're going through this someday, just take out a dictionary and, and look up complete. When someone says, you got to look at what the principle is. If it's a legal issue, the trustees have to respond for sure. But respond. Starting litigation is much different than responding to litigation. I've been the chair of AWS twice, actually. I was a trustee for four years. Took that responsibility very seriously. My duty to the fellowship spiritually my duty to the state of New York as a fiduciary of a registered nonprofit in the state of New York that the attorney general expects them to act in a certain way, like they expect every nonprofit. And I'll get to that when I mention concept six. Sometimes we think there are special rules for AA. We, we mold the spiritual and the legal together. Well, we're AA. I use the driving scenario for that. There was a time in my sobriety where I believed that if I had a good purpose to drive, like to a meeting, it should override that I don't currently have a driver's license, right? I figured that out myself, right? Like, the end justifies the means, and I have a good spiritual end here. But I learned in first legacy re recovery that following the motor vehicle code in the state of New York is part of getting sober. So the trustees have certain things they need to do. If we get sued, there's not a choice. We have to respond. But starting litigation is a complete different matter. And that's where it says complete authority. Concept three. As a traditional means of creating and maintaining a clearly defined working relation between the groups and the conference, the AA General Service Board and service corporations, staffs, committees, and executives, and thus ensuring their effective leadership, it is suggested that we endow each of these elements of world service with a traditional right of decision. I could talk about this for hours, but here is what I'm going to stress to the AA group body. The most important right of decision that you have as a group and as a member is who you're sending to the conference when it comes to complete authority. How important is it who you're electing to be your GSR? How important is it as who those GSRs are electing to be the delegate? Once you elect the delegate, you're locked and loaded for two years. You can tell that delegate how your area feels about something, a whole bunch of other stuff. But that delegate shows up in New York, and they have the right of decision. Much like the trustees and the directors on the corporate boards have the right of decision to carry out business during the year. But again, it should be inside parameters. I don't think sometimes that we take that right of decision serious enough when it comes to voting. Voting is your participation in the right of decision. You're deciding who should make decisions for you. And sometimes I think we let that slide a little bit. We just think about, oh my God, I can't wait. 
they'll probably have an awesome PowerPoint presentation of all the places they visited in New York and stepping stones and 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 all this stuff. When at the end of the day, that stuff is nice, but it's not what the conference is about. At the end of the day, a delegate's job is to go there, do their best, and come home and adequately report it. We vest a lot of trust with the right of decision in our trusted servants. There is something here, though. Um, that I want to read. I believe that in the business world, see, business has become a bad word in AA. When we think of business, we think of all the criminal business enterprises. And I'm not talking about the ones with family names. I'm talking about the ones with corporate names who we see in the paper and read and watch on the news. Business is never supposed to be bad. Business is supposed to be ethical, honest, responsible, and transparent. I'll say that again. Ethical, honest, responsible, and transparent. The end of concept three has a warning for us. The right of decision should never be made an excuse for failure to render proper reports of all significant actions taken. It or never be used as a reason for constantly exceeding a clearly defined authority, nor as an excuse for, persistency fail for persistently failing consult, consult those who are entitled to be consulted before an important decision or action is taken. I don't have time to talk about recent decisions by the General Service Board, but it is amazing to me that one of the largest and most critical decisions made by the General Service Board in the entire history of our conference structure was made less than 20 days after last year's conference ended. The conference costs about $800,000 a year, if anyone doesn't know that. Just give or take seven or 800, all in. All your chips in the middle, travel, parking, trains, planes, food, hotel, everything. That's a lot of AA money, and I'm glad we spend it. I want those 90-something delegates to come to New York and exercise their right of decision and their right of participation. But how do you make the largest, one of the largest decisions in AA history less than 20 days after the conference ends and you never disclosed or reported to the conference that something like that was going on in the background. I have a lot of beliefs about that situation, but the one that bothers me the most is that even if they were right in doing it, if I'm at the conference, there's about the same amount of people in front of me as would be at the conference. It's easy to adjust the conference schedule. Painful, but easy. Because people have the right of decision to do it. Why not just get in front of the conference and say, we want to give you a heads up. This important issue has come to us in the last couple of weeks. We think we're going to have to take action. We don't know what action we're going to take, but we think we're going to. And we want you to know that. I think if that had happened, a lot of the fallout would have been much less. People might not have been happy with the decision, but they wouldn't have felt like one of the most critical, important issues in Alcoholics Anonymous was kept from what Bill called the permanent successors to the founders. Concept four, throughout our conference structure, we ought to remain, ought to maintain all responsible levels of traditional right of participation taking care that each classification of group of our world servants shall be allowed a voting representation in responsible proportion to the responsibility that each may discharge. That's why we let staff members vote at the General Service Conference once a year. That's why directors who are not trustees get to vote. All trustees vote at the conference. 
There's an important note I just want to reference inside the bylaws of the General Service Conference about how important that week really is. Look at that door and pretend it's a door going into this room at the Crown Plaza in New York City. It has doors exactly like that with the same exit sign. The bylaws of the General Service Board say that every member of the conference will be referred to as a delegate. So what that means is when I cross that carpet in the Crown Plaza, the last General Service Conference I attended, I was a trustee, a Class B, a non-trustee, a director on the AA World Services Board, the current chair of AAWS. But when I cross that threshold, I'm a trustee delegate to the conference. There are area delegates, staff delegates, non-trustee director delegates, and trustee delegates. I might have some other duties at that conference because I'm a trustee or the, or the chair of AWS, but inside that room, I'm one among equals. That's how important the annual conference is. That's why the right of participation is so important. Throughout our world service structure, concept five says a traditional right of appeal ought to prevail, thus assuring us that minority opinion will be heard and that petitions for redress or personal grievance will be carefully considered. All I'm going to stress is this. It does not say that every issue needs a minority opinion. Because it doesn't. It doesn't say that every issue requires a personal grievance. I would just stress that you should read this section because they use the word grave. And look up that word when something is considered to be in grave error, you can make an appeal to the General Service Conference or the General Service Board. But if you do it every time, no one's going to take you seriously. If you are the person who's given the minority every single time, and take it from someone who's been in the minority, 80% of the time, let it go. If you want your words to be taken seriously, Save them for grave matters. Save them for things that are super important. Let the other stuff go. Believe that is God talking through group conscience. AA has self-corrected itself so many times. It's the world champion of self-correcting societies, I think. Just look at the General Service Conference report of final actions and agendas, and you will see that the agenda, while it looks fresh, the topics, not so much. Uh, they've been to the conference before. Concept six. The conference recognizes that the charter and bylaws of the General Service Board are legal instruments, that the trustees are thereby fully empowered to manage and conduct of all of the World Service Affairs of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is further understood that the conference charter itself is not a legal document, that it relies instead upon the force of tradition and the power of a purse for its final effectiveness. My favorite line in all the concepts is in concept six. I will read it. I thought I, did I? Of course, our objective is only a spiritual is always a spiritual one. But this service aim can only be achieved by means of an effective business operation. I would ask you to look up the word solely. Solely is defined quite well in the dictionary. But this service aim can only be achieved by means of an effective business operation. That means that just saying and doing God's work doesn't mean the money keeps rolling in. It doesn't mean if you have a good mission, preamble, whatever your God's work is, it says you have to run a responsible business first. I mean, I know the trustees get a ton of, God knows how much they take. Um, I know, I've been there. Um, the flack, the criticism. But it's time to take the mirror in some areas around the country.
It's time for a lot of areas, districts, central offices, inner groups to look themselves in the mirror. Because I can tell you what I see. I see where it's readily acceptable to have a deficit budget. Where AA entities at the beginning of the year, year after year, are planning on spending more money than they take in. I see other AA budgets out there that still don't plan for income. They just list all last year's expenses and add a little money to it. That is not an effective business operation. We have a pattern of untreated alcoholism inside all of our service structures. We do. Imagine that all of you leave here and go to your various diners or Denny's or coffee shops to meet a sponsee. And the sponsee sits down and says to you, I'm in bad financial shape. I got so bad financial problems. Having heard that discussion on both sides, um, usually, about 100% of the time, for AA alcoholic members, what that means in plain English is that they spend more money every month than they make. That's usually what it means. It means that their expenses are more than their income. We would define that as untreated alcoholism. Living in the bedevilments. That's how we would define it for an individual. Why as a society do we think we should be held to a different standard? Now it's not bad that we got ourselves in that situation because we know all of us in this room have been in that situation. We know our loved ones, everybody's been there. But when you acknowledge it, I might need five extra minutes. When you acknowledge it, when you acknowledge it, you don't in AA say, well, I'll keep doing the same thing. You make a plan of action and take corrective measure so that slowly you can correct that. And sometimes I hear people talk about that in areas and districts and they're like, the money will just come in. One of the downfalls of our seventh tradition, I love our traditions, but here's one of the downfalls of our seventh tradition. We only take our own money, which is I could write a list of a thousand reasons why that's the best thing in the world. There is one reason why it bothers me a little. We're not as accountable as other nonprofits are with our money. Other nonprofits, because they take other people's money, they have to work hard every year to clearly show how much of that money is carrying out the mission and how much of that money is being used for management. That should be the test of every nonprofit. No one forced us to be a nonprofit. We decided to be a nonprofit. Nonprofits are held to higher standards. But there's many organizations out there that rate nonprofits that'll say, give to this nonprofit. We know that they spend most of their money on the mission not on the bureaucracy. So I think we need to look at all AA entities and we need to take a hard look. Is that money being spent to be effectively used to carry out our mission, which is for service entities to facilitate 12-step work, to help our members carry the message? Is that where most of our money is being spent? For me, that's an effective business operation. Concept eight, the trustees of the General Service Board act in two primary capacities. With respect to the larger matters of overall policy and finance, they are the principal planners and administrators. They are their primary committees, directly manage these affairs, but with respect to our separately incorporated and constantly active services, the relation of a trustee is mainly that of a full stock ownership and of custodial oversight which they exercise through their ability to elect all directors of their entities. 
I would say most new delegates that I meet don't really understand sometimes what this really says. First of all, there's no more full stock ownership of the entities. There's footnotes in the service manual that went away in the 60s. The trustees do not own AA Grapevine and AA World Services. The General Service Board of Alcoholics Anonymous does not own AA World Services and the AA Grapevine. Spiritually, yes. Legally, no. The 21 individual members who happen to be on the General Service Board are what's called members with a capital M under New York State law. They are the 21 members of those three corporations. That's why at the end of the General Service Conference, there's an annual meeting of the membership of the General Service Board, an annual meeting of the members of the Grapevine Board, and an annual meeting of the members of the AWS Board, because they're the only ones that can elect the directors. And a lot of people don't realize that it says custodial oversight, which they exercise through their ability to elect all directors. That means once a year, the trustees elect those directors. Some are staff directors. Some are non-trustee directors, like I was. Some are trustee directors. There always has to be four trustee directors on each board at a minimum per the bylaws of those corporations. But the General Service Board doesn't micromanage what those corporations do. It would be impossible with 21 people to do that. The General Service Board really only meets three times a year. They meet at the conference, but that's... Their three working weekends are July, October, and January. And weekend, we have... We use the alcoholic term of weekend. It's like Wednesday night to Monday, right? That's our definition of a board weekend. Um, the last time I checked, and I say this because, you know, I run into delegates, trustees, past delegates and trustees, some of them that I agree never with, ever. There's not one thing I agree with them on. But I've found that you have to, in AA, you have to give respect, even if you don't agree with people, for those people who have decided to put AA in front of their own life. I'm not retired. The last time I counted, I burnt through like 160 vacation days for my eight years of service. That's not counting the Saturdays and Sundays. That's just the Thursdays, Fridays, regional forums. So when I run into somebody who maybe thinks differently than me, what I try to remember first in my head is how thankful I should be that they give their life to Alcoholics Anonymous. Because so many people do not. I would suggest reading that concept and really with a sponsor, really understanding all those paragraphs because the trustees have great authority, but every year they ask nine or 10 people to run each board. Now, that does not mean that those boards do not have to act like I just read in the right of participation. I mean, the right of decision. If those boards make an important decision, they have a duty to disclose it to the General Service Board of Trustees, not to just keep it at their board level. They have a duty to disclose it, especially if it's a major policy change or an action that, impl that implicates one of the warranties. They have a duty to disclose it. They're not different than a delegate or anyone else. It doesn't say this that the right of decision doesn't apply to the AAWS and Grapevine Board. And that's why I say, going back to that decision last year, even if the General Service Board didn't know about what was going on those last couple of weeks of April 2017, even if only a couple of people on AAWS, I was the chair. I had no knowledge of any planned litigation. I was not involved in any meetings or conference calls about planned litigation. In fact, to me, it was a non-issue. I want that book as far away from the general service office as possible. 
I wanted it then and now. But if a couple of people on AAWS went to the 67th General Service Conference knowing that they were going to do this weeks after, that right of decision says that they should have transmitted that information to the conference. Concept 9, good service leaders together with sound and appropriate methods of choosing them are at all levels indispensable for our future functioning and safety. The primary world service leadership once exercised by the founders of AA must necessarily be assumed by the trustees of the General Service Board. We need good people. We need the best. Whether they're publishing experts on the grapevine, management experts on AAWS, the best appointed committee members possible. I'll tell a little story, and one of the people that was in my interview room, I've never told this story while one of them was present, but one of them is. I interviewed four times to be a non-trustee director. Three times for AWS, one time for uh, Grapevine. The first three times I interviewed, I thought it was the best interviews of my life. I thought I smoked it. I remember walking outside 475 Riverside Drive knowing I was going to get that phone call. There is no way anyone could have done better than me, and guess what? There is no way anyone could have done worse than me, right? I go to my last interview. It's September of 2008. I've just left the meeting because my company is building a large data center for a company that used to be called Lehman Brothers. A $200 million data center for a company that no longer exists. I work in the insurance side of the construction industry. My major insurance company that used to have a name that had three letters that now has a name that has three letters. In between, they changed the name, but that there was a question that that insurance company was going to fail, which would mean that all my contracts at work where I promised that my insurance would have a certain AM best rating was going to go away. For the prior four weeks, I had done nothing except work around those issues. I showed up for my interview, and usually my first three interviews, it's like a personality disorder clinic. <laughs> you have five people in a room, you're on one side of the table, and they each have an AA pet peeve. You have your literature profit person, your seventh tradition person, your singleness of purpose person. You're, I mean, it's like, and you just go around the room and they fire questions at you. My last interview changed a little bit. Because a man named John S., God rest his soul, passed away. He asked a question at the beginning. And I'll never forget it. He said... Have you had a chance to look at our recent financials, and is there anything on there that concerns you? And I remember thinking about answering that question, and I said, yes and yes. And he said, what concerns you? And I said, it appears to me that your pension is an out-of-control freight train. And if not corrected, the General Service Board in 30 years will be picking up the pieces because it is way past time you have a pension that is built for a time that no longer exists in the world. And for like the next 20 minutes, all we did was talk about that subject. And I remember leaving there thinking, that was the worst interview I've ever had, and there is no way I'm getting chosen. And two days later, I got a call. And I think about that and this concept because as of January 1st, 2013, all employees who joined GSO are in the new retirement program. We were able to take some money from the reserve fund and move it, move it over to our pension fund to stabilize that a million and a half dollars um, a couple of years ago. We were able to decrease the amount of money that AWS and the Grapevine needed to spend because when you look in 2002, combined AWS and the Grapevine spent about $400,000 that they deposited a year into the pension fund. By 2009 and 10, that had grown to $1.5 million. 
an extra million dollars needed from AA baskets and getting worse. So I realize when I look at this, sometimes people say, I don't know why that person got selected. I don't know why that person got selected. Trust that the board knows what they need. They know their own gaps. They know what they want to do in the future. So I'll just say quickly, um, in Concepts 9, 10, uh, well, 10, 11, and 12, which I could give a four-hour workshop on, I'll close with saying this. There are a couple of essays in those concepts that I love, the one on leadership. There are a couple of qualities that are found inside those essays. There are a couple of words that are very important. I want to say those words are vision, tolerance, flexibility, and responsibility. The concepts make clear that those four qualities are a bar for entry. If you do not have those four qualities, you will not be an effective trustee or director or appointed committee member or staff member. I heard a tape of a past trustee who I never got to meet, but he gave a simple math equation with those words that I've taken to heart. Vision plus responsibility plus flexibility equal responsibility. Lack of vision, inflexibility, non-responsibility. Uh, yeah, no intolerant, no flexibility, lack of vision equals irresponsible. That's what I would say about those things. And, and in my experience, if you're going to be an effective AA leader, you have to be flexible. You have to be tolerant. My prayer that I had to just embrace in my heart, still today, and it works in all forms of life, but AA gave it to me, is to pray to be tolerant of the intolerant. It's my hardest job in life. It's my hardest job in life, everywhere, every aspect of my life, even AA. I have to pray to be tolerant of the intolerant because I know how intolerant I could be. And do I have a right to be intolerant? Do I have a right to be not flexible? But vision? Vision is the board's number one job. The general manager and the staff run the office day to day. 